everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. to be in young adults. I, I love this group. Um, I know everybody who gets up here says that. Is this no, still not on? I'm sorry. You want this sort of? Okay. Amen. Um, I know everybody that gets up here says how much they love young adults, but this group really has a special place in my heart. Um, so, hallelujah. <laughs> Is this the right thing? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I guess to just go ahead and sit down and we'll figure it out. (laughs) All right. Well, I, first of all, don't take this lightly. Um, You know, standing in front of your, like, peers is always a little bit intimidating. So you'll have to just bear with me. Um, I am going to kind of try to pick up where I believe that Brother Tipsword left off last week. Um, We know that we have been working very thoroughly through the story of Joseph, right? Um, It's been quite the journey. Um, I believe, if I'm incorrect, you'll have to forgive me, but it's my understanding that Brother Tipsword left off last week with Joseph coming into power um, in Egypt with Pharaoh, correct? Can I get a witness? Yes, amen. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to try to pick up where he left off there and kind of work through the story and share a little bit what has been on my heart. So I'm not officially going to take like a text. I'm just going to work through it if that's okay. Um, And then if you want me to to sit down, then I'll do that too. (laughs) Um, So here we see Joseph, right, in Genesis 43-ish, 32-ish to 45-ish. We see Joseph now elevated to power second in command to Pharaoh, right? Just like the dream had foretold that there was the seven years of famine or seven years of plenty and now the famine is here. And it spread across the land and just like the dream said, Joseph was prepared in Egypt because he knew it was coming. So, Up in Canaan, the famine had begun 
pinching the food supply there. Jacob's family ran quite low on food. Crops failed, emergency stores ran low, and long before they knew it, they were facing the really th real threat of starvation. So Jacob learns that there is grain in Egypt, and he sends his 10 eldest sons to Egypt to buy food for the family. Um, so they pack up their horses or their camels or whatever, and they travel from Canaan to Egypt, where they find none other but Joseph, who was selling the grain. His brothers didn't recognize him right away, but Joseph knew who they were as soon as they rolled up. He wasn't a young lad of 17 anymore. He's a man well almost into his 40s by now and in the prime of his life, where once his brothers had stripped him of his coat of many colors, he's now adorned in royalty and gold and suddenly standing before them in a place of power. Once he had cried out to his brothers from the bottom of the pit, and now he's standing over them in regal glory. And obviously his brothers didn't recognize him, but he knew who they were. And they bowed before him. And that's when he called to remembrance the, the dream that he had when he was young. Suddenly it all makes sense. He sees his brothers bow before him, and he remembers that. So his immediate reaction is a human one. And he knows he's changed a lot over the years, but he's not so sure if his brothers have. Last he knew of them, they were groveling, jealous, mean boys that threw him in a pit, planned to kill him, and then ended up just selling him into slavery instead because it was more convenient for them and they got something out of it. So Joseph accuses them of being spies. He speaks roughly with them and doesn't reveal who he is, but he speaks really roughly to him and accuses them of being spies. And of course his brothers are like, no, 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 you don't understand. We're honest men, which I can't help but imagine Joseph laughing in their face. <laughs> okay, I can assure you, you're the last thing from honest. You've been living a lie to your father for the past how many years? 20-something years. I can assure you, you're not honest. So he um, takes them and holds them in prison for three days. And I can't say I entirely blame him for that. <laughs> um, and so Joseph takes them, he like sleeps on it for three days, you know, maybe realizes, okay, <laughs> that might have been a little bit dramatic. <laughs> so he takes them all out of prison and says, okay, you, you can go, but you have to bring Benjamin back. They had told him when they first we're introducing themselves to him, right? He's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're 12 brothers of the same man. We're honest men. We're honest people. We all are brothers from the same guy. There's 12 of us. One of them's back home and the other one's dead. So it's, it's, it's just us, just us 10. 
And so when Joseph takes him out of prison and he's like, well, you can, you can, you can go, but you have to bring the other brother back. And I think Reuben at one point even says, like, God is punishing us <laughs> because their guilt of we sinned and now he's keeping us hostage and we're never going to get out of here. So Joseph comes to kind of an agreement. They meet somewhere in the middle. He's like, all right, well, I won't keep all of you as my prisoners, right? I'll just keep one of you and you can all go home. As long as you bring the boy back, you'll get this other one back, kind of like a trade deal situation. So they go. They grovelly agree because they're starving. So they agree. They keep Simeon in prison, and all the other brothers go back. And they have to tell their father, okay, well, the plan kind of worked. Um, see, what happened was... We went to Egypt and we bought the grain, so that's cool, except we kind of left one of our brothers there. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, so they're having to now tell their dad, okay, like, your, your one son is, is dead, and, and now this other son is in prison, but we can get him back. But you have to, you have to let us take Benjamin back to Egypt. Is that not awkward? I feel like that's so awkward. Now they have to tell their dad, right? Like, okay, listen, well, see what happened was. So after much convincing, Jacob reluctantly agrees. He didn't want to see, he didn't want to send Benjamin to Egypt because he didn't want anything bad to happen to him. Because Benjamin is just the same as Joseph. I remember when I was reading this story through the first time and I had kind of skipped past it. I was like, okay, like a brother for a brother kind of trade-off situation, but what's so special about Benjamin, right? But Benjamin is the same as Joseph was. Benjamin is the favorite. This is kind of like Joseph round two. <laughs> um, Benjamin was the second and the last son of Rachel. And if you remember all the way back to the story of Rachel and Leah, Jacob had worked all those years to get the girl that he wanted, which was Rachel. And then he only had two sons from his favorite wife. One of them was Joseph. One of them is Benjamin. So Benjamin's kind of living Joseph 2.0. And Jacob doesn't want to send him out into danger, right? Because he doesn't want to lose the one and only son he has left of his favorite wife. So reluctantly, he agrees, and only because they're starving. And I think if Jacob had actually had a fair chance to choose, he probably would have just left Simeon in prison in Egypt, which is terrible. And, and, and <laughs> But it really layers that, again, like Benjamin was the favorite. He was completely willing to leave Simeon in Egypt in prison. Sorry, pal, too bad for you, but I'm not letting go of my favorite kid. So they convince him because they're going to starve, right? He's like, either, either they send Benjamin or they die. So, okay, fine. 
So skipping a little bit ahead, they all get back to Egypt with Benjamin. So when Jacob sees him, he tells his servants to throw a feast and that they're, all the brothers are going to eat with them. And they sit down for a feast and Benjamin is served five times the amount of all of the other brothers. It's kind of like another little test. Like, okay, if you didn't know he was the favorite before, like you definitely know now. So it seems like everything is well and good, right, to the brothers. They're like, okay, maybe this guy's not going to kill us. We got our other brother back. He's not going to kill Benjamin. Everything's great. So everything's fine and dandy. They pack up their sacks with as much grain as they can carry. And they head on their way back to Canaan with the food, with all the boys, all the kids. Everything's good. But Joseph had another little plan in place. You see, what Joseph did was have one of his servants hide this silver cup into one of their grain sacks. And he hides the cup in Benjamin's sack. So no sooner than they started on their journey, he sent his steward bounding after them and accused them of stealing the cup and tells them, Whichever one of you stole that is going to be Joseph's slave. And when they found it in Benjamin's cup, their reaction was telling. Where once they had willingly sold Joseph as a slave, now the very prospect of losing Benjamin was so horrifying. They rent their clothes as a sign of deep grief and mourning and they turned and returned back to Joseph. Now they have to face the music, right? Benjamin stole. And when they get there, I'm paraphrasing this whole story, obviously. Um, when, we get, when they get there, Judah offers himself as a slave in place of Benjamin. He takes responsibility for a crime that was not even his, but he had told their father that he would protect Benjamin. He would do anything to get Benjamin back home safe. It was Judah, the same kid that offered Joseph up as a slave, is now offering himself as a slave in place of his brother. He took responsibility for a crime that wasn't his, and he's willing to offer up his own life in place of the brother that they would have assumed that he hated. So Joseph sees, he had put them through these tests to see if they actually were still the same kids that he remembered. Because if they were going to offer up him, what's to say they wouldn't just leave Benjamin to die too? They had every opportunity to leave him. He even says, you know, I'll let all of you go free. I won't keep all of you as my slave. Just the, just the boy. Just the boy that did this crime. And Judah sacrifices himself and willingly offers up, I please, I can't do this to my father again. And Joseph realizes that they did remember. They, they knew. They, they remembered. They still thought about what they did to him all those years ago. So 
Knowing this, he reveals himself to his brothers. He sends everyone away and says, I am Joseph. Like, it was, it's me. And it's safe to say that they weren't exactly relieved to hear this news. <laughs> um, Joseph's brothers were amazed, but also fearful. Imagine you're one of these brothers. What are you feeling in that moment? when it's suddenly now standing before you is all of the sin you've committed in your life and all of the guilt that you, or you would hope that they had carried through their whole life. And now here he is, and in a place of power. So I imagine that they're thinking, he's going to kill us for sure. <laughs> they put him in a pit, and here he is, on the throne, right? They stained their souls and embittered their father's life for years. But then the dreams have come true. And all of their wickedness had not diverted the stream of divine purpose, even a little. One flash burned up their whole sinful past and they stand scorched in the silent among the ruins. Sooner or later, the same certain futility of his sin will overwhelm every sinful man. And self-condemnation stands in the silent acknowledgement of the weight of their sin. To see, to see their, his brother, they should have been overwhelmingly happy to see him. And instead, they, tr they were troubled at his presence. They were afraid. And in the same way, to see Christ enthroned should be joy, but it may be turned into terror and silent anticipation of his judgment. So the name of this lesson, as it was given to me, was Beauty from the Broken. And it called in remembrance something had God had put in my spirit kind of a while ago that I would just like to share. <laughs> um, I've been told by a reliable source that Gen Z affectionately refers to themselves as, quote, the suicide squad. And according to the Mental Health of America article that I found, a growing percentage of youth in the US, comes as no surprise, is living with major depression. And in the bottom most ranked states, up to 19% of youth aged 12 to 17 have experienced a major depressive episode in the past year. The Trevor Project, an LGBTQ activist group, reported in 2020 that LGBTQ youth were 1.7 times more likely than their peers to experience symptoms of anxiety and depression. And that figure was even higher among trans and non-binary youth as they were 2.4 times more likely to face anxiety or depression. And I no means intend to make this lesson about anxiety or depression, and I'm sensitive to the fact that people in this room deal with that. But I do want to say this. It's, it's really easy to call out that group of people, that LGBTQ community, and it's really easy to talk about how evil that is and how that 
agenda is destroying America, right? We hear that all the time and how confusing and evil and wicked it is. And it is easy, easy for us to say that. And I understand that. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not justifying that at all. But when it's someone you love, it's so much more difficult to take cheap shots and it becomes all the more clear as to how broken and bound that they are. There's no glory in brokenness. It's a destructive place to be. It's isolating and it can just about destroy your faith. But when you learn to accept the forgiveness that's been extended, you see, Joseph extended grace to his brothers and more than just forgave them. He told them, it wasn't you that did that to me. It was God. Joseph had been sold from malice into Egypt, but God had sent them there. Joseph forgave them, but what soothed their guilty souls? It was the assurance of grace. Two things are required for a guilty soul to find peace. A worthy mediator, an undeniable evidence of acceptance and pardon through him. Christ was such mediator. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, and higher than the heavens. But it's through our relationship with him as a brother, as a sister, we are invested with his righteousness. See, there is always in Christ a greater love seeking the friendship of a sinner than there is a sinner seeking for Christ. At some point in our brokenness, we have to choose to be healed. And healing is a process. <laughs> Whether you're healing from depression or you're healing from sin, maybe you've fallen, you have to let the work be started in you. And it's okay to feel broken, but the beauty comes in the restoration. And this story of Joseph and his brothers is a beautiful foregleam of the grace of God. It was as if Joseph blotted out their sins, totally forgot it. He even called them close to prevent, attempted to prevent remorse. He didn't even try to make them feel bad about it. He acknowledged what they did. He said, I am Joseph whom you sold into slavery. He wasn't trying to hide the fact of what they did. He called them out and then called them close. He had seen that his brothers had changed and was able to forgive them so completely because he could see that change through the test that he had put them through. He even says, don't be angry with yourselves. And such like God so blots out our sins and extends such grace. See, our maker takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but would rather the wicked turn unto him and live. And when our Savior perceives that true repentance is already in the heart of a sinner, God is prepared to administer his comfort and his grace. 
you can trust in the character of God. And that no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can trust that he is there if you are there. And it doesn't take some kind of fancy prayer or or even for you to get your life completely together. Um, I don't want to tell an entirely personal story, but it's when you're when you're living so broken, and it might not even be a sin issue. Maybe it is. Maybe you've fallen and feel like you can just never recover. And we talk about that a lot in here. I think that's kind of a theme. <laughs> but maybe it's maybe it's not sin. Maybe you just feel broken for whatever the reason may be. And that's why this class has been so important to me. <laughs> um because when you're living that life, sometimes the only thing you can do is hold on. And the beauty comes when you allow God to restore you into the person you should be. That's where the beauty is. His whole broken story. And, and Joseph saw a lot of that brokenness. He went through a lot. But his brothers lived with the guilt for years and was instantaneously, seemingly restored. And he hugged his brothers and he cried on their necks. And that's the beautiful part of the story. He gives them the best of the land. He invites them to come and stay in Goshen where they can survive the rest of the famine and be well-fed and taken care of. And we even see this reflected in the prodigal story, where the brother comes home and he meets him in the road and prepares a feast and everything is restored tenfold of what it should have been. It's easy to glorify that broken side. It's really easy to live there. And it's really hard to forgive yourself. And I don't know who you are in this story. <laughs> I don't know if you're a Joseph that needs to forgive someone who wronged you. The music can come. <laughs> um. Or I don't know if you're a brother that needs to finally accept the forgiveness that's been extended. Or if maybe you just needed a perspective shift on someone who is broken and hurting. But God is a healer. And God is a deliverer. And I know it's hard to hang on and I know it's hard to come back, and I know it's hard to forgive yourself, but if you don't accept his grace, what's your alternative? 
see it, God's love for us is greater than our hate for ourselves. And you can't soothe your hurting soul on your own. No self-help book can lift you from your pit. All you need is that attitude right there. The humility to come to him one more time and say, I know your grace is sufficient. And I know you're good. And I might not see my way out of my pit and I might not feel like I can hang on one more day. But you are good. <coughs> Why don't we just stand? <laughs> I hope this made sense tonight. Um, I don't know, like I said, I don't, I don't know who you are in this story. I don't know what piece, of, what piece of this story you need to cling to. But he's so good. And Joseph didn't deserve the position he was given and his brothers didn't deserve the forgiveness that was passed and we don't deserve <laughs> we don't deserve the goodness that he gives and he knows that all you have to have is that attitude to come to him one more time And trust in the character that he has and that he is good. He is so good. Why don't we pray, Jesus? Lord, I pray that you would just, you would touch your people, Jesus. God, I don't know who needs to hear that you are good, God. I don't know what you need to do in this place. Lord, but I pray, God, that you would continue to take the glory out of brokenness, God.